Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli, co-host with Mike Sherrick of Into the Gap Radio, which airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock Central on 1590 AM and 95.9 FM Chicago. This is the podcast version of our show where you'll get highlights of our most recent episode. We also do an Into the Gap unfiltered podcast, and I'll have more details about that later in the episode. Okay, let's get started. Here's my co-host, Mike Sherrick. We've got a guest today. Uh, we've got our, our friend Rollo Tomasi's back today. So Rollo, you in? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. We Welcome, Rollo. Yeah, oh, great. Thanks for having me back again. This yeah, you got always fun. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And so uh, we're, we're going to get yeah. And uh, introducing and introducing Rollo. In addition mm-hmm. to your first book, Rational Mail, mm-hmm. just so the audience gets an idea of who we're speaking to or with, mm-hmm. uh, your other books that have been published Mail? are yeah, a series. Yeah. Uh, the other books are, uh, well, the first one is The Rational Male. That's kind of like the source book. It's like the, the, the one, it's, it's what people want to call the Bible or the red pill right now when it comes mm-hmm. to intersexual dynamics. Um, and then the second book is Preventive Medicine. And um, that is a, it's based on a timeline of what guys can expect from women at different phases of their maturity, like mm-hmm. basically what they can, they can expect. <laughs> um, and so and to plan ahead, I, you know, I had so many people say, I wish I would have had this stuff when I was younger. I, you know, I wish I would have had a, a roadmap. Well, that's what mm-hmm. I tried to do in that book. And mm-hmm. then, then there's the third book, which is, um, uh, positive masculinity. And that was more about uh, red pill parenting or understanding how things are working in gender dynamics um, in the 21st century right now and what guys can do to, you know, prevent the worst of, uh, you know, the worst effects of it and to raise a good family, you know, based on the information that, uh, that we have right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, and, and then I talk about masculinity and that, and that how, masculinity has changed, um, at least since the sexual revolution. And that's my, my book. I actually have a fourth book that's coming out that I'm working on right now, which is going to detail religion from a red pill perspective. Oh, oh interesting. that's most interesting. Yeah. So what we really want to, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have uh, Rollo back and kind of one of the, the reasons for this show is really the inquiry into what is masculinity in the 21st century. And so thanks for that, Rollo. And that's kind of what we want to get into. But before we get too into that, I want to defer to my partner here because he does copious amounts of research <laughs> oh, into <yeah. laughs> into creating the what's so condition in the world today, and he's got a couple of cool news stories that document our existing conditions. So right, and and you know, I don't know, if you, maybe if you follow us on Twitter, and I think you do, I do. Yeah, um, there's something I'm just going to repeat that we posted this week. This is from Stephen Arneo, but I'm sure it's not limited to him. It may be somebody else as well. But there's these four. The saying, I guess you could call it a, a mantra that he has, which is hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Mm-hmm. And so the calling for the show uh, was based on, I don't know if you know this, was based on coaching conversations that Mike and I had engaged in. I went to see Mike a little over a year ago on a networking. I have, an, I have a background in architecture and construction. I have an architectural services company. Mike and I were talking and then we got into a coaching relationship and then the coaching relationship led to, wow, what what would be interesting is to have a uh, this, this kind of conversation publicly. So, and then we started getting into the insanity of the news cycle, which I think last week we talked about Lucille Ball, that one episode where <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. on the chocolate machine, you know, yeah, and all yeah, of a sudden yeah. just keeps happening. So with that in mind, uh, 
Mike's favorite story, and I usually surprise him, but this yeah. week, no, we both were into the same thing right from the beginning, which is a a Down Syndrome drag show in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hmm. In Grand Rapids, Michigan. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know it was mm-hmm. there. It took place at the Wealthy Street Theater in Grand Rapids, and believe it or not, this thing was sponsored by Rick DeVos of... Uh, the, the DeVos family, the, uh, the Herb Herbalife people, Herb, yeah, yeah. Oh, whose okay. wife is uh, Becky DeVos, Betsy DeVos, Betsy DeVos, Secretary of the Education, Secretary of Education, yeah. And yeah. they're like, we can't figure out, and, and these people are supposed to be, you know, fairly religious and conservative and so oh. forth, that they would allow uh, exploitation like this to occur. That's amazing. That's absolutely. I didn't know they were right. behind it. I didn't know who was behind it. <laughs> right. The whole thing to me so, was just outrageous. Right. 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 And so when stuff like this starts happening, it then fuels the kind of questions that we have, yeah. meaning all kinds of questions, right? What we're, although Mike and I say that we don't editorialize, we, we can editorialize and we do editorialize yeah. and there's no way to get outside of our subjective interpretations of sure. what's right. going on. Right. Uh, at the same time, we're coming from a concern to do what people in this format are supposed to do, which is influence through, I don't know, maybe exploration of truths. Yeah. Right. I, I had no idea. Conversation. Yeah. Like now I, it's I impossible to have. yeah, exactly. It's impossible to actually like challenge someone on, right. like I'm curious, what's the thinking behind this? Like, why would someone think right. this is, this is exactly, it, was it supposed to be funny? Well, it, it goes back. I mean, I, again, uh, I have to parse my words because I, I don't want to be patronizing, but I can not help but be patronizing. Your book, I get more and more into it, and I've got notes that I'm probably not going to cover today. But so much of what's going on now, I'm tying back into your into your yeah. writings, and a lot of a lot of the stuff where you you guys go into, I think, is primarily in my third book, which is uh, positive masculinity. Yeah, and what I talk about in there is um, I use I reference what I call the village in there, and. Mm. I'm sure you guys have heard the the saying like Hillary Clinton has said yeah. this a million times. Like it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, that's right. where I got that from. So when I talk about the village, I mean like pop culture, yeah. schools, religion, uh, you know, individual families raising kids. It's all of the things that go into the creation of a person a person's personality, our children, like when we're raising Mm -hmm. kids, really the first part of actually the first third of positive masculinity was focusing on parenting and parenting from the perspective of all this stuff that's going on right now, where we're trying to convince people that a a child of three years old knows enough about sexuality to choose its own gender. Um, Or it knows like a, a kid of nine or a kid of 12 years old knows enough about sexuality that it knows that it wants to be a drag queen. Right, yeah. right, and and so that's okay. So how did we get to that? How did we how do we get to uh, a nine year old boy dressing up as a drag queen and and dancing for dollars in a, a gay nightclub? How do we get to that point? Well, it's right. all it's an aggregate of all of the influences from the village, from all of so, all of social influences. Yeah, and the, so so if I if I re, if I refer to the village, that's what I'm talking. Cool. About. The the analog I have for your last comment is. Um, you ask the fish, where's the water? And the fish goes, what water? Yeah. Yeah. Fish doesn't know it's wet. Yeah. Right. And so we're, we're obviously not, in other words, I, I, my own 
view of what you just mentioned in the village, this whole idea of the village, is our the absence of consciousness that we're even in this village at all. Right, right. Ultimately, yeah. right. And that's that's what we um when when we're when I'm talking about things from a red pill, blue pill mm-hmm. perspective, I always refer to the blue pill as conditioning. Yeah. And I have a I have a background in behavioral psychology. So I look at things from perspective of like operant conditioning and what does it take to to uh to promote certain kinds of behaviors. And so when I talk about blue pill or blue pill conditioning. Um, what it is is exactly what you're talking about. Like a fish doesn't know that it's wet. So you've been raised from the time you're like four or five years old to because the village has put all of these things into your heads. And it's not just their influence, but it's also your natural predispositions. And the village knows what those are and works with those to the point where you don't know that you're soaking in water. Yeah. You know, Rala, when you bring it bring it up there, I had this... Uh this tipping point moment, you know, my background is, you know, I grew up in manufacturing and then morphed into construction. So mm-hmm. these are not, um, uh, th- there's not a lot of social engineering. Those things, those are very objective businesses. You make stuff, you, you yeah. generate stuff. They're, they're also very male dominated. Mm-hmm. And I was always in leadership and I was so focused on getting stuff done. I wasn't paying attention to the world around me, quite honestly, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. so focused on my stuff and, you know, and, and I guess I would be, you know, I'm guess I'm an alpha male. I ride a Harley. I drive a pickup truck. I got tattoos. I used to power lift. I fought MMA. I mean, you know, all this, this stuff. Right. So I just didn't notice it. And then I, I got involved in a coach's training program and I was leading the program. And this woman who was a partner in a law firm and she was a minority, she was an Asian American at the end of the thing, which said, is there anything you need to say to, to like work it out? Mm-hmm. And she referred to me as a old, rich, white, guy or something like that, you know, whatever privilege, old, rich, privileged white guy. And I'm like, wow, like, what's that? You know? And then she, she like went on to kind of eviscerate me for me being me. Mm -hmm. And a light went on for me. And I just listened to her. I didn't get defensive. A light went on for me that says, wow, the game's changed and I didn't get the memo. Right. You know, you're you're encountering a, a product of a generation's worth of education. And so I think a lot of people, like when we look at the millennial generation mm-hmm. right now, yeah. and they're, they're the woke generation. Yeah. So I, I, I think what you were, it was shocking to you because it was the first time you encountered a product of what the village has been working on really yeah. for the last 10 to 15 years. So about the village. Yeah. Sure. Let's, Let's go definitely there. go there because mm-hmm. that's a juicy for my um i mean do you you want like here's the thing is when it comes to when i talk about the village i i I really i have to take it from all sides too so i think that when people like they read uh my third book positive masculinity when they're reading through that they i think there's this idea that i am suddenly uh, agreeing with their ideology like uh, people especially when it's a conservative ideology i mean obviously people aren't going to read my book and and think it's you know a liberal leftist thing but Mm -hmm. i that when people read my stuff and they're approaching it from like a, a, a more conservative mindset, I think they, they believe that it is um, I'm in agreement. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm agreeing with something that they, they are ego invested into. Rollo, can I, yeah. can I put something in right here? Yeah, me too. Go on. You first. Yeah. Cause what you're pointing to is I think is one of the fundamental breakdowns of what's going on in our culture today, especially mm-hmm. in social media and everywhere else. It's mm-hmm. either you're a liberal or you're this right. far right you know, racist. Okay. And I 
I almost always refuse to sign off on the the progressive agenda because it sounds stupid to me, quite honestly, if I was going to be completely transparent. That doesn't mean I agree with the other guys. I'm actually a free-thinking human being. And and I love what you're pointing to is there's multiple perspectives Mm -hmm. and information all over. Well, I think- I, think I, you, I talk about when I talk about the village, that also includes conservative thought, too, mm-hmm. because that's that's something I try. And I know that this is impossible to do. It is impossible to be 100 percent objective and unbiased about sure. things. I get that. But that doesn't mean you don't make a, tr- uh, you know, a good college try. Right. You got <laughs> to aim, aim for that. I mean, most people don't yeah. even know that they're what they're promoting or what they're professing is from an ideological perspective. I get that. I mean, I have my own beliefs and faiths and everything sure. else too, but like ever since I started writing, ever since I started doing what I'm, I, I always say, you know what, I, guys need to understand the truth about intersexual dynamics because I'm seeing too many guys' lives become destroyed by this or, you know, they hang themselves because of something or the, or whatever, you know, they, they're mm-hmm. committing suicide. They're, they're a lot of bad stuff is happening because yeah. guys don't understand the, the role that they are playing in all of this. And that's where, and sometimes the, the bad stuff comes from the conservative side and sometimes mm-hmm. the bad stuff mm-hmm. comes from the liberal progressive side. Right. And, and so somewhere in the in the middle of all that is a truth and is a, I, 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 I say this, I have an obligation to truth. I have an obligation to truth and I have an obligation to call it out when I see an injury to that truth as well. Um, and truth from not my own personal perspective, but from an objective perspective, as objective as I can possibly make that. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right. That's what people, especially nowadays, yeah. there's such a polarization between, well, you know, and, and I mean, like binary extreme polarization yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, between, between the two sides, between, you know, leftist thought and rightist thought, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I think Tim Poole was showing some, recently was showing some graph about how it's changed on certain issues and how it was looking uh, the, the the crossover between issues that like say progressives and conservatives agreed on yeah. has become further and further apart um, ever since the internet has sort of risen into our our you know our awareness yeah. and so we're we're polarizing so many different things um, it's easy to point out uh, this from a political or an ideological or a religious sense, but it's also a polarization of the sexes. Yeah. I, so when you look at like where I, I think it was Sheryl Sandberg was saying something to the effect that like men are scared to work with women in the workplace now because of uh, they're, they're worried about getting me too, or they're worried mm-hmm. about false, you know, sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And, that right there is segregation. That's, yeah. a, that's a visible manifestation of this split between, well, the sexes, but also between ideologies. I want to observe that uh, you're linking dynamically in some way with the conservative movement or conservatism, if you will. Mm-hmm. I, see, I see it as a result of the pragmatism that you bring to the table concerning mm-hmm. these issues. And, you know, conservatives c- tend to be fairly pragmatic Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. relative to a more, uh, quote unquote, progressive mindset, which is, mm-hmm. you know, we're never going to get to the top yeah. of the mountain. But, yeah. you know, if we sacrifice now, and- I'll, uh, I'll give you a real I'll bake your noodle here. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, here's 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 the thing is just what you're talking about, how conservative thought tends to be more pragmatic. Conservative thought tends to be more masculine. As, uh, I mean, conventionally yeah. masculine. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And, and so agree. when we look at women, they tend to be more collectivist. I'm not saying they're communists or socialists. I say women evolved 
to interact with one another yeah. to be more in a more collectivist nature. Yeah. So they've done these studies okay. where men, if they're, they're they give a group of men uh, uh, some resources like money or something to uh, allocate between the guys in that group of men. Mm -hmm. and the other study does the same thing with women. They take the resources and and give it to the women. So what the what the men will do is they will take that that money or those resources and they will they will dish it out and they will distribute it based on merit. Like you did, Joe, you did a great job. Here's five bucks, uh, Jim. You did an okay job here's three bucks. Mm -hmm. and, and so like based on whatever their performance was and the task that they were set to do, that's how they set it out. For the women, they naturally go to an equalist uh, distribution. So it's like you get one and you get one and you get one and you get and everybody. So everybody has a fair amount of resources within the all female group. And I think that this is really kind of indicative of yeah. uh, just sort of the pre sort of our, our mental firmware when it comes to how we interpret the world. So men tend to be more individualistic, more hierarchical, more, you know, based, and of course it's, it's based on dominance, but it's also based on competence. So and then for women, it's all about making sure everybody gets their needs met. You know, everybody has to yeah. have the, the right amount. Of, it's, it's much more collectivist. So you see men are more individualist and women tend to be more collectivist. So I heard once that World War I was the rise of a massive, overwhelming degree of masculine energy that occurred in a very tight time frame, right? Mm -hmm. And I kind of wonder, again, reflecting back on your first book here, uh, what is the role or or is there a role or how big of a role it might there be between the rise of the Internet and the disposition uh, of information the way it's gone and this hyper feminine response that we're mm -hmm. seeing now? I mean, it, yeah. is there a causality there? Well, I think I, I think it's I, certainly the Internet has facilitated that. Right. Um, I don't think it's the root cause, but I think that it is certainly the yeah. greatest facilitator of it. I think maybe the stuff that that we see right now online, it, you know, people will do a lot of a lot of crazy stuff when they are they believe they're anonymous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. see, I mean, uh, I've. Uh, and don't get me wrong on this, but I, when I read stuff like the blog for Pornhub, now I don't know if you ever seen that. It's seen the, the blog. You know why? It's not. It's not pornographic, but yeah. it is um, a lot of statistics about like yeah. the sexual uh, behaviors of the people. Like you know, they can track the numbers of like who watches what and how people you know how, what their watching habits are when it comes to mm -hmm. pornography. All that stuff existed prior to the internet. But now we have a way to measure it. And I yeah. think really that's what the Internet has done is it's given right. us the facility to like in, in the manosphere. Well, I'm talking in the manosphere. The manosphere is an aggregate of guys who all over the world got together and decided that they wanted to, you know, exchange notes. And they wanted to figure out, you know, they wanted to express their own experiences as men. But they came together in forums and saying, how can we live better? This is what's happening with the women in my country you know, what about you guys, you know, and this, so there's this constant comparing of notes that was facilitated by the internet. I think the two greatest things that have happened in like, say the last 60 years has been the uh, advent of hormonal birth control that upset society. Like, I don't think we're still, we don't still don't know the extent of, of what, uh, you know, the pill has done to us as a social institution. And then the, the internet has been the next mm. has facilitated things and has shown us things about ourselves. Wow. You want to know why we're, we're polarized. I would say that the internet has certainly facilitated that. Yeah. Right. So my, so I, I, Mike and I were talking about this when we got, got to ask it mm -hmm. why gender war and why now? What, oh, why what is, 
what is behind, you know, why gender war? Because, you know, your tweet, we're watching your tweets this last two weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks, and it's great to see the amount of tweets that you're putting out there. And a lot yeah. of them are dealing with this. And so I kind of did go crazy last week. Didn't I? <laughs> it was good. I mean, it was really good. It was really good, man. I was, I was like, you know, I woke up every morning because I, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. Like I check it out at six mm-hmm. in the morning and I woke every, up every morning just to check out what you did the day before, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's um, yeah. ever since the beginning. Well, actually, I sh- this kind of started last year. I did a, um, I did a talk at the 21 convention in Florida last October. Yeah. Um, and my, my, speech or my talk was the state of the manosphere address and in that um and then a little bit after that i i talked about a gender war and mm-hmm. i don't mean like you know we're gonna get to you know it's boys against girls and we're gonna go beat each other up it's not that's not what i mean it's like there's this talk right now about how there is a cold war of ideologies that it's going on so there's a, a war between progressives and conservatives right mm-hmm. now and yeah. it's a cold war it's just a talking war we're just like throwing insults back at each other or we're just trying to point out the faults of the other well as a part of that that polarization we're also that that cold war extends into gender yeah and i think that um that's why when I when I, I I've been doing a lot of tweets where I say you know this is what a gender war looks like and I have a hashtag gender war if mm-hmm. you want to look at any of those that's that's what it's under um, and I predicted this I said you know what we're going forward into 2019 and to 2020 in the election cycle that's going on right now you're going to see that um, the feminine imperative is going to make it is going to demonize men so much so that it will seem like a moral imperative for anyone to vote for a woman in 2020. And this is no longer so much about uh, political ideologies Mm -hmm. and just personal ideologies as it is about what your where do you come down between men and women? And we're already seeing this in in the uh, we just saw the debate, you know, the other night. It's like if you don't have a vagina, you're not qualified to be a president uh, as far as the Democrat, as far as that side of the aisle is concerned. And so we're seeing more of this consolidation, I think, when it comes to female side of the feminine imperative and that's why i said we're in, in the midst of a gender war so in january we have the apa ruling american psychology association or uh, association ruling that um conventional traditional masculinity is right. a psychological disorder that's so. amazing bob pontarelli here and i want to thank you for listening to this podcast we'll have more into the gap episode highlights after a short break Into the Gap is on a quest for bringing self-knowledge right up against the glass of the great display window of life. We're also on a quest for advertisers to support this podcast, our weekly radio show, and our unfiltered podcast. If you'd like to get more information and inquire about rates, please contact me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. This is Bob Pontarelli of Into the Gap, and there's a great store I recently discovered out in Melrose Park. It's called Suburban Sporting Goods. Whether it's for home protection, life safety, law enforcement, or just for sport, Suburban Sporting Goods has been serving the firearm community for over 72 years. They also maintain a state-of-the-art gunsmith shop, backed by a lifetime of experience. So the next time you're thinking about quality in firearms, think Suburban Sporting Goods. They're at 2306 West North Avenue in Melrose Park. Find them online at SuburbanSportingGoods.com. This is Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our radio show, which airs every Saturday at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where we pack the current cultural narrative into a sausage grinder of critical thought.
and where whatever enters that sacred hog casing gets served up hot and juicy on a platter of freedom and liberty. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our latest episodes are also available on SoundCloud at Into the Gap Media and our website, intothegapmedia.com. Okay, back to the show now. Here's Mike. So, Rollo, we, we, uh, we left with uh, talking about the, the gender wars and also that you were talking about the, uh, the Democratic uh, debate the other night mm-hmm. and, it, and it, the attack on masculinity. And so I'd like to go deeper with that if you could. Sure, sure. I, um, I think really a lot of this started back in the 2015 election cycle. Obviously, mm-hmm. there was the showdown between Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've got a really great post. I'll put it in my, I'll, I'll link it in my Twitter feed here in a minute. It's called The First Female President. And I, I waited a little while um, to, until the, the election was over before I, I tweeted anything about it or I even wrote anything about it. But I don't like to get into politics too much. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a political blog. I'm not a, I'm not a religious, racial, whatever blogger. Sure. I talk sure. about inter, intersexual dynamics. So yeah. I don't talk about religion, don't talk about policy, anything, mm-hmm. unless it crosses over into intersexual dynamics. And mm-hmm. that's why I've been talking about the gender war for as long as I have, because mm-hmm. back in 2015, I was watching Hillary Clinton and I was watching Donald Trump. And I go, these are two representatives of the gestalt feminine and the gestalt masculine. Mm -hmm. So you have Hillary Clinton, who's been a brand of her own since like the early Mm -hmm. nineties. And she represents everything on that female side. They were saying that at the time, like uh, it's her turn, right? They Mm -hmm. didn't care that it was Hillary Clinton so much as as a woman that is going to be in the white house, because now we, you know, we had our black male who was the president. Mm -hmm. Now it's time for a woman and they will openly say that this is it. And they believed it so adamantly (laughs) that companies were making uh, business decisions for the next year based on the presumption that a female was going to be in the white house. So So you get like, um, Gillette, you get like, yeah, you get like, well, Gillette's one of them. Uh, you get uh, like a show (laughs) like, uh, house of cards. Mm -hmm. They they fundamentally changed the narrative of that show. Mm -hmm based on the presumption that there was going to be a female president and lo and behold, that's what they were doing. But they, they had built all of this, all of this presumption that we're going to have, it's going to be the first female president. And that's good for marketing because we can, we can (laughs) use that to, to sell things to girls. We can use that to say, you can be a female astronaut, you know, those kind of things. So she represented the gestalt feminine, like anything that was, was female feminist, you can't think of another person, another woman on planet Earth who would embody that more than Hillary Clinton. Who can possibly beat Hillary Clinton? Who can beat this gestalt feminine? There's, you would have to find the most masculine, over the top, um, you know, <laughs> the guy who is going to represent um, conventional masculinity in an old school way, who is a brand of his own. And the only person who could possibly have beaten Hillary Clinton is Donald Trump. And he represents all of the the things that the other side sees as the most toxic, most evil, most. I mean, he is he's worse than the devil. Right. But he's also the gestalt masculine. So in that old in that election cycle, you had the gestalt feminine in Hillary Clinton. It's her turn. I'm with her. You had all of these guys, you know, presuming that she was going to she was going to be next. And the man came and took it away from her. Yeah. It took all of that, took the wind out of her sails. And, and I mean, 
men and women alike were crying because they had already there. She was already in the White House in their heads. And so that right there was the first to me, that was the first inclination, I think, of what I call the gender war. So you've got wow. women who believe who've been you know, ever since the, the sexual revolution has popularized feminist you know, thinking, feminist ideology in the mainstream. Now, here we are. If we, if we say that was back in, say, like 1965, here we are in 2019. We've gone probably three or four generations since then. And this is finally the generation where we're going to get it done. We're going to have the, the, the first female president. But the old school, old boys, gestalt masculine took it away from her. And I think that, I, first of all, I think that Trump's going to win again. But if he does, I would expect that this gender war is going to intensify that much more. Mm -hmm. But here's the chance, right? So here's the gestalt feminine saying, you know what? Here's our chance to defeat uh, uh, Trump. How can we do that? Well, we have to convince the society that men are evil. That it's it's no uh, there's a shift. Right? I'm sure you've heard of about toxic masculinity. It's oh, no yeah. longer it's now masculinity is toxic. Yeah. Men are toxic. Anything that has to do with conventional masculinity is toxicity. And so you get stuff like that. You get stuff like the Gillette commercial, which was, uh, of course, you know, Gillette is, is now reeling from that to the tune of about like eight to twelve billion dollars because of that commercial. But they thought that that was a good idea. Somebody in their marketing department said, hey, let's go and hire a militant feminist and let's produce a commercial that's not really commercial as much as it is feminist agitprop. How can we do that? You know, like that seems like a good idea. Then you've got Nike, who's already on board with with all of this. Then you get Captain uh, Captain Marvel released on International Women's Day. I mean, that's that's not a, a coincidence. Yeah. They're trying and it's not a coincidence that, uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes rigged the numbers for the uh, for the. Uh, you know, the, the show out or, you know, with the, the viewership. Um, it's not a coincidence when you see, uh, you know, uh, was it Super Bowl commercials that are just really intensely feminist. And so I think you're seeing this intensification and into 2020, into the, you know, election cycle proper, um, you're going to see an intensification of this. Men are bad. Women are good. Our only, the only solution, the only way we can save humanity and save, literally save the world is to defeat toxic masculinity. The, the gestalt feminine has to defeat the, the gestalt masculine. And I think probably by the time we get to be about, to about November of 2020, we will, we, it will be so intense that it will seem to people who don't know anything about this that the moral imperative is to vote for a woman. The only way we can solve these problems is to have a, a woman or maybe two women in the White House, right? Maybe we're going to have a female vice president as well. I would suggest that all all indications from the DNC make it look like that's what's going to happen. But that's in a political sense, that's the the most obvious um, the most obvious manifestations of the of this gender war there's other ones as well because remember the gender war is not just a political that's that's big scale that's like the meta scale there's the personal scale yeah. as well <clears throat> so rollo so, yeah okay the, are we the, done the, no 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 we're not uh, done okay. the the thing that you're pointing to is mm -hmm. i'm sitting here i'm like getting really really uncomfortable and i'm getting really uncomfortable <laughs> because of the thing we said earlier you know when we were off camera was this you know men are pragmatists and they will mm -hmm. adapt and so when you talk about things like the NFL and Nike and these organizations that are run by men that mm -hmm. are actually killing off men, mm -hmm. 
for their own short-term gains. I mean, that's the part that is just, yeah, go ahead. Well, a little more to that, dovetailing on that. It's very close to what I was going to talk about, which is Mike and I had this yin-yang thing, right? So so I'm much more conspiracy-minded than Mike is. Mike is very reticent. We get into this biffs all the time together. But I'm sorry, what you're pointing to is how could there not be collusion at this level, number one? And if men are participating in their own demise, what would be the reasoning behind that? How does that, how do you, you know? I, okay, you and I, before, when we were off air, we talked about why does a guy become a male feminist? Yeah. Right? yeah. Or, and we just talked about like when you were sort of like struck by the fact that this woman at the, you know, was an Asian American woman and mm-hmm. she was calling you you know a white privileged male rich old white privileged guy yeah yeah, rich old white privileged guy um you have to understand that that is she was a product of academia which you know was i think it's if it for public education 77 percent of your teachers are going to be female already Mm -hmm. from the time you are in preschool to the time you're in your postgraduate at college 77 percent of your teachers are going to be are going to have been female so um there is a it's not just teaching ideology but it's also a teaching of like how you are taught not Mm -hmm. as well also what you're taught of course but how you were taught i've said this in a hundred different podcasts where it's we teach our boys as if they're defective girls well why is that well because they're being taught in a feminine primary perspective or you know from a feminine primary approach um so that like well if, if a little boy acts out as uh, little boys do, there's something psychologically wrong with him and we need to drug him and we need to give him Ritalin. Okay. So that's on the, that's on the very smallest, you know, the very beginning levels to all the way up to where guys are say in their thirties and they go, Hey, you know what? I'm the, I'm the marketing coordinator for Nike. Um, I think it would be a great idea to have this militant feminist come and do a commercial for us. It's, the product of all of that, what we call blue pill conditioning over the course of three or four generations. So is there some secret cabal of people going, ha, 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 we're going to find some way to, to um, you know, institute this gender war? And I would say that there doesn't need to be. There doesn't need to be collusion because the ideology is so widespread. The idea of feminine primacy is so widespread. We live in a gynocentric Society in Western cultures, we live in a gynocentric social order, which means a feminine, female primary social order. Now, people will say, "Well, men run the show. How can how can that possibly be true?" Yes, men run the show, and they run the show from that same ideology. Yeah. So you get this. You get guys who think it's a it's a great idea. Like you listen to any of the male candidates on the Democratic side right now. You those are products of that same village and of that same blue pill conditioning. So to them. That's they're not up there thinking, you know, yeah, I'm going to find out how I can get a woman in the White House. They're not thinking in those in that term They're They think that they're doing the right thing. They think that by promoting uh, promoting an agenda or promoting an ideology that disadvantages men, uh, you know, advantages women, but disadvantages men, um, that they're doing the right thing. They're ego invested into that into into making that happen now of course you know you've got these guys probably want to be president but i don't think there's a male candidate on there that thinks that they're going to be the candidate this year I think yeah you gave a great explanation of why beto o'rourke cory booker and andrew yang operate the way they do 
oh, Andrew Yang is like, he's ready. Like, what was it? They, you know, he wants to take away your guns and make, make a woman, put a woman in the white house or make, you know, yeah. we, we keep clinging to this, uh, to the, the myth of the pay gap, the gender yeah. pay gap, yeah. which has been debunked like so thoroughly, but the, but we still like the the lay person still believes that oh women are only getting seventy seven cents on the dollar no they're not and yeah. if, and the ones that are it's because of the choices that they make exactly but that's a really good selling point that's like oh well gosh and here's the thing is is that is that gender pay gap is that the result of endemic sexism or is it just simply the choices that are made by women yeah. well if you ask somebody on the left they're going to say it's endemic sexism so Rallo, we, we got we got to take a break again. Sorry to interrupt you, man. And then when we come back, I want to take a look at, like, what does the future hold for us? You're listening to Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our weekly radio show, which airs Saturdays at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM, Evanston, Chicago. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where leadership, lifelong learning, and critical thinking are leveraged in the service of freedom and liberty. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. The latest episodes of that podcast, and this one too, are available on SoundCloud at Into the Gap Media and on our website, intothegapmedia.com. If you'd like to get in touch with questions, comments, or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, please email me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Greetings, this is Bob Pontarelli of Into the Gap, and we're really psyched to have the High PSI company sponsoring our show. High PSI was founded in 1976 and provides the industrial cleaning industry's finest pressure washers and cleaners. They also represent brands like Hotsey, Alcoda, and Aladdin, as well as single operator fleet wash systems. You can access their services and a very competent, dedicated staff through their website at highpsi.com, or just give them a call at 800-666-3900. Let's go back to the show now. Here's my partner, Mike Sherrick. Rallo, how you doing? I, I just want to say, good, good. I'm, I'm not in my normal place in the studio, and it's like, it's, <laughs> it's irritating me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your conversation today, man, it's like, I, I'm seeing what's going on at a, um, it's like it's gone from kind of the regular television to like high def now. And it's like, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit irritated, you know? I, I have a question. You don't have to answer it now. But I kind of wonder, and it's just coming to me from whatever, are, are women, and not as a, not from a context of blame and guilt or anything like that, but are women or is the feminine imperative the actual source of consumerism in a sense? You know, uh, kind of, well, let's, we can dissect that a little bit too. I, and, and don't feel bad about it. Yeah, don't feel uncomfortable with this. I, I understand why it like, kind of, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. It, it, I'm just offsets like, everybody. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's look at the, look at the statistics. Women <laughs> it's actually a primary. source of inspiration, my friends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> women are the primary consumers in Western society. Women, I have a, a gosh, I, I need probably should call it up. I've got a lot of statistics about how women make most of the decisions when it comes to financial decisions in the household. Most men have abdicated any sense of masculine authority because we believe for so long that we should be in like an ideal marriage should be an egalitarian marriage. And so as a result, you've got a guy who is just sort of a slave to the sexual attentions of his wife. Meanwhile, she's the one who is controlling the money. She's the one who's, uh, you know, deciding on major purchases. Um, she's the one whose career, um, dictates the marriage dictates where they're going to go with things. And then also women are also, um, the primary 
consumers in society. They make 80 to 85% of uh, all consumer decisions. So when you see like the NFL um, trying to sell shoes with a, with a feminist kind of commercial or something like that, it's because that they know that they're not trying to sell soap to guys. They're trying to sell soap to their wives who are going to buy the soap for their man. So it's like almost like a third party kind of thing here, but are they, is it, like I said, there's no, there's no cabal of, you know, mm-hmm. evil feminists sitting around in some dark smoke filled room saying that this is what they're going to do. Right. They're responding to what they believe the zeitgeist is of this era. And they're not wrong about that's why they made all those decisions back when they, everybody believed that Hillary Clinton was going to be the president. They forecast and say, you know, they make their, their ad buys and, you know, for marketing and advertising and they make their ad buys, you know, six, eight, nine months in advance for stuff like this. Well, you have to sort of have a crystal ball to see what's going to be, what's going to be hot and what's not going to be hot. Everyone thought that Hillary Clinton was going to be the president. Why? Well, because it's this generation uh, who have been conditioned and brought up and educated to believe a certain ideology. That's why it's shocking to you when this Asian girl is talking to you about you're a white, you know, rich, you know, heterosexual, cis heterosexual guy. Um, you're, you're, finally coming face to face with the product of a generation's worth of conditioning. So when it comes to like, who's making the buying decisions or who's, how are we going to advertise the people who are in those ad agencies? They're the same people that are, that have been just come out of the colleges that have just come out of this conditioning. And that's, they're, they're putting their, their ideological influence into the advertising because they were taught that this is the way everybody is going to think. This is, we're going to have a female president, so we better make uh, a show that or an advertisement that sells shoes because there's a woman in the White House now. Nobody could have foreseen that that Trump was going to actually win. But when it comes to retail and economic decisions, it's all based from a female primary, a female correct way of thinking. It, and and the irony that I see is that it's all looked at as why we're evolving. This yeah. is part of evolution. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the way it works out is, is they, they want to say that you are a Neanderthal or you're, you're thinking in an old way if you don't believe the same way that I do. And that gets kind of dangerous. I, I, people have asked me about this. They say, well, where, where do you see the segregation going? Like right now we're seeing a segregation between the sexes. We're mm-hmm. already seeing it in the workplace because men don't want to have anything to do with women when it, you know, they have to put out hashtags, you know, uh, mentor her because me too has put the, the fear of um, a sexual harassment or put the caution, mm-hmm. <laughs> the precautionary interest of, of avoiding a sexual harassment uh, you know, case, or you've got uh, employers who are not hiring women because they don't want to run the risk of having yeah. to worry about stuff like that. So it's almost kind of backfiring on women. But the ultimate, uh, the ultimate effect of all of this is going to be a segregation between men and women. So yeah. women sit on women and this leftward thinking uh, society, they get to go to this set of churches and this set of workplaces and this set of social places, and they get these uh, celebrities and they get, so we have this segregation of that one side with the segregation of uh, like the conservative side of things. So the conservatives and you know, the men folk and the people who believe in conventional masculinity, they go off to this side. So it's like red and, 
and blue. And part of that segregation is women right now. Yeah. And like, when, what was the, people were saying, like, I was, there was articles going around that if you voted for a, a man during like the 2018, uh, the midterm elections, mm-hmm. that your wife shouldn't sleep with you because wow. you voted for a Republican or you voted for a male and we need to get more women into, into office because they're all they believe in is equality of outcome. But there is seriously down to the personal level, they're advocating for women to stop having sex with their, their husbands. If those husbands don't fall in line with that, that ideology, the ideology so, that's coming out of the colleges and the blue pill conditioning. So right this now. leads into the conditioning Mm-hmm. of the sensitive feminized male mm-hmm. who's going to pick up that sword just so he can get laid. Oh, that's a good, that's a real good segue. You know, what, what makes a male feminist? Why, oh, why would there even be such a thing as a male feminist? I know, first of all, I think male, the male feminist archetype is yeah. very soy, very, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> a guy with a beard, but looks very effeminate. He's a lumberjack, but she's yeah. not a lumberjack. Yeah. He's got that neck beard um, thing rocking. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think, the 2015, 2016 election cycle really kind of emphasized that. But um, why do guys become, you know, male feminists? Well, um, it's an adaptation. First of all, it's, it's absolutely conditioning. It's a conditioning that men believe that the more alike they are with a woman, the more the like they are, the more correct they are with with the feminine the more likely it is that men, women will see them as unique, will see them as, as uh, you know, it's all about getting, you know, getting the sex, right? But it's, it's, it's a little bit more than that because men are deductive problem solvers. We're very pragmatic. Exactly. So what do we do? We say, okay, we ask women what it is they want for us to, to have sex with them. We become that, we do that, and then women are supposed to appreciate that. Well, it doesn't really work that way, first yeah. of all. Um, but it's because, you know, we say, well, they're just sneaky, sneaky men trying to get in under the radar and get into women's trust and say that they're feminists when they're really not feminists. Well, I, I would say that there's certainly an element of that. But I honestly think guys believe that these guys would yeah. make these public declarations of being a feminist. And then the other thing is this is the this is the generation that has been brought up by other other feminists by yeah. feminist single mothers. So yeah. there you go with your village again. It's like they've been raised and acculturated and conditioned to think that the more they are like a female, the better a person that they are. So when you have a, a little boy who's like three or four years old and we say we want to convince everybody that he can choose his own gender. You know, it's it's almost I, I, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I would say it's overwhelmingly it's little boys wanting to become little girls because there is an advantage mm-hmm. to being to actually being female. Oh. So if you're if you're raised and you're um, it's so diabolical. <laughs> oh, Rallo, you know, so I, know I know you got to run. No, we're, we're running out of time and we're both sitting here gasping at really you know, we're ch- staring at each other and, like this is. And plus we're in Evanston. If you knew what Evanston was, this is like the epicenter of the very thing you're talking about, you know? Like we see it when we walk down the street here. So yeah. it's uh it's been so remarkable to have you. I hope you'll uh you'll join us again. Absolutely. I, yeah. I would love to come on. Appreciate yeah, all right, so man. We gotta go. Thank really you everyone for listening. Please allow us to thank you for listening to this show, as we are only too aware that your support makes it possible. 